0: Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away.
2: And as we begin this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, I do not think it is necessary to tell almost anyone what movie we're talking about today.
1: The Seventh Seal. (laughs) I love that (laughs) Bergman.
2: As we embark on a perfect film indeed today, it is my pleasure to welcome... And
0: it is the 30th anniversary of this motion picture.
2: (laughs) Almost to the day, isn't it? It was in May of 1977 that Star Wars... This was a big deal,
0: man, when I was 18 years old.
2: Oh, it was a huge deal for me. And I remember uh, we were talking about it uh, coming in that there was not a lot of fanfare. Most people sort of just heard about it word of mouth hey, just man, right this, before. it's this caught
0: the whole industry looking. They were all looking. Every last one of those clowns that run those studios, all looking.
2: like so check that out. Indeed, a huge impact on my young life and uh, certainly carrying through to this day. On that it is my great pleasure to welcome to the studio live and in person today the one, the only, the film nitrate archivist of the Library of Congress. He is our friend, and we call him George and George, Welcome hi y'all and thanks for being here also in the studio the storyboard artist for the coen brothers for 20 years and counting and also truly friend to all the big stars we'll have to have a show where we talk just about that but meanwhile we get the man in the flesh he's j todd anderson j todd welcome (laughs)
0: luke i am your father (laughs)
2: no! <laughs> this movie is so much fun, and what's even funnier, uh, I'll is, just Is add, our plastic,
0: um, the plastic, uh, what do you call those things, Georgia? The lightsaber. Yeah, we have the plastic lightsabers, and <laughs> and I put Nikki's eye out, but we put it back. It's okay. I'll tell
2: you what. Yeah. So we're 30 years in, and my child, who is Lego crazy, they are still making Star Wars Lego figurines. And because of Merchandising this Merchandising fortune. Because of this entree, my son, he's five. Big fan of Star Wars, thirty years in. So
0: this is this is a movie that does it, man. This is a perfect film. I think they're pretty much indoctrinated from birth now,
1: aren't they? <laughs> so like, I think it starts
0: in,
2: almost has changed the human genetic structure. Yeah, like this in film,
0: vitro, uh, But that kid's <laughs> on the dark side. I watched him play with those Legos. <laughs>
2: Well, let's talk about this this notion of of perfect film. is uh, is not uh, out of the thin air. This is not something that you guys just feel like today. There have been strenuous rules and criteria that have been met by this. And gentlemen, what are those?
1: They create the world they exist in. And Star
0: Wars wholly sustains that world.
1: And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value.
0: And never, 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 never is any one of the movies on our perfect movie list ever rated better than the other numerically. It is perfect in its own scale. Voila, Star Wars.
2: Certainly. Now, before we go over uh, how this completely fulfills those rules, and it does, um, let's have a quick overview of the action, which is so funny. I mean, just even like that music... I have to agree that probably everyone alive <laughs> say,
1: knows this are film. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah.
0: Basically, it's a story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. Actually, it's every World War II movie ever made, updated because they were tired of doing you know, Nazi soldiers and your, you know, your usual allies and everything. They just kind of freshened it up a bit and made it in outer space.
2: Plus, they took elements of fairy tales and like these, you know, much more ancient tales about the hero, the heroic aspect. So, you know, in as much as we talked about those, those story touchstone points with princess bride and whatnot they're present here as well you know a simple farm
1: boy yeah whatever <laughs> um but it's got lots of shooting and and killing and, yeah, and but, things he started up. talking like that in the hallway man the t- did we
0: beat it man oh yeah nikki it's got fairy tales in it yeah right.
1: that's uh, why i always have to act stones. like i've got something in my eye oh, oh, oh.
0: Yeah, it's a good thing her kid's doing that dark side lego stuff let me tell
1: you
0: Well, okay. okay, so everybody knows the story. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, it's 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 the the end of a, of the war, and and the evil empire is taken over, and and this um, this princess has hidden these secret plans in a robot that she jettisons to this planet that just happens to be where one of her father's old buddies lives, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, the robots end up being part of a family where
0: there's this young farm boy, Luke Skywalker. Um, could he band. mean
2: old Ben Kenobi could oh, he mean yeah. him yeah
0: and you know Debbie Reynolds kid is the princess right Carrie Fisher Carrie
2: Fisher who was just hot as a little muffin speaking mm-hmm. of hairstyles speaking oh of man yeah. it,
0: cinema, her, <laughs> her, her best deal is in uh in the what is it George is it six or three that the it's third been, one, as oh. us older people know it, she's all chained up and everything, and she oh, looks like this... Like, yeah, with, Jabba yeah, with Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, with Jabba the hut, you know, which does. isn't in this... They tried to put it in this movie, but they just did not have the financing. So I believe that he...
2: It's in my reissue. I just yeah, bought the trilogy they, um, for my son.
1: If, if I recall, they did shoot the scene, but they just, I think they cut it mainly for time. And they had an actor play Jabba actor. the Hutt. It
2: wasn't a large worm. It no, was
1: he looked actual... like, a, he actually, he looked like kind of a, a big Scotsman, if I remember. Yeah. like that.
2: So they went in and, and digitally re-edited, did some CGI, and put mm-hmm. uh, Job. Jabba... By that time,
0: it was easy to do that. I mean, it was not as easy as it is now. But uh, yeah. everything in Star Wars is done with green screen and good old-fashioned special effects as we knew it before the digital age arrived with Forrest Gump. Right.
1: So it was released in... It's like matte painting and glass shots and yeah. model work. And in
0: this movie, this movie was the first movie to use motion control.
2: Which you should tell us uh, We're what gonna, that George is. George and I are going
0: to try and tell you how motion control works. Uh, nowadays, it's much more sophisticated because they have computers. Remember, they didn't even have computers in 1977, as we know it. Right, they, this was
2: even made in '76, or at least maybe two years or more, but, you know, they, in the they
0: making. Started shooting it in like '75. Okay, so yeah. Well, basically, what happens when you see the uh, the fighter ships uh, when they're moving and, and they're moving at really great choreographed scenes where they're attacking everything? Most of that stuff is back in those days. And this was really groundbreaking material. They designed a camera called a motion control camera which would do the same movement every time it would hook around that spacecraft and stop and maybe go up and it was programmed to do that with very little memory that they had back then very little computer uh, dynamics that they had We
2: talk about gigs and trigs yeah, I mean, now just did it you know it wasn't perfect every
0: time but everything was in green around it and that starship stood still why that camera moved around it and if you looked at it when you watched it processed, it looked like the spaceship was moving because of the motion control camera. And then all the green, as we talked about in Superman, was all analog. So it's very, very hard to register, unlike today, which is, it's, you know, it's, it's it's so easy the weatherman can do it. Um, right. But <laughs> they put the stars in there. And that's how all this dynamic material that we saw for the first time in 1977, because before that, it was Ray Harry housing and Earth vs. the Flying Saucers and that kind of oh, effect. stop motion. Yeah. Not that that stuff's bad. It's just that this thing hit with such dynamic force with all the effects and everything. And and still to this day, they have a hard time registering that stuff for uh, prints. Right, George?
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting for those of you who, who've watched this movie over and over again. You might remember those, those few of us left who saw it in 1977 when it first <laughs> came out and were just so astonished by it and watching it. And then later on when it comes out on video, you might notice in some of the battle scenes like what looks like a little rectangle following the spaceship around. Every time it turns, this little rectangle turns with it, and that's the mat, the traveling map that's going around the spaceship. And one of the reasons you're seeing this, and I, I think they may have fixed that now on some of the really nice new uh, new version. It's
2: really funny that you say that because I had seen it originally in the theater and, mm-hmm. and of course had my tiny mind blown and then saw it years later, I think it was on television and was watching the battle scenes and saw that little, it's just oh, wow. slightly greener I mean it's like for the most part black but it's just a very, just a green thing and I thought well how could I have missed that? We're so sophisticated now. I thought well how could I have not seen that at the time it's so obvious but it turns out it wasn't well, there.
1: And I've heard it. some of it is caused by, by just bad timing and, and for those of you who don't know what timing is, timing is a, a sort of a process that is done this is
0: before it is printed. Film timing, not like we tell our jokes, which sometimes <laughs> fall really hard around So here.
2: it's actual um, uh, uh, frames per minute sort of no, notion.
1: No, Actually, they'll
0: bring the frames up
1: on on the special machine, and then they adjust the different light levels to get the proper uh, the proper difference between darks and lights and colors. And 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 in this case, possibly it's one one way that i think it happened the timing was a bit off on these and because it's the 70s and you know and they're still eh, video was kind of new so they weren't so really big on on quality <laughs> um so yeah the timing gets off and you're, you're seeing these matte boxes now another another explanation i've heard is that film stocks have changed dramatically since 1977 color film stocks and some of the new film stocks are not as compatible with the color values of the 70s film stocks, and that caused some problems too. But I think with digital work, they have now gone in and cleaned up and erased those.
2: Much as they added of the Hutt.
1: Yeah. But
0: yeah. that... That fighting scene that you see in space there still is just as good as it was in 1977. You can still watch that and say, this is wonderful. And I had read on, on, on various occasions that they used the movie, The Battle of Britain, which is, I think, 1968 or 69, where the Messerschmitts are, um, and the uh, Hinkle bombers are being attacked by Spitfires. And I think they used some of the uh, World War II footage you know, uh, of various movies to get those fighters attacking b No, you think that, or is that actually— I've read it several times. I can't really back it up with fact, but I've read it more than once, that they used those as their— How would you say that, George? Template.
1: Inspiration template. Yeah, I mean,
0: they actually sometimes rotoscope right over top of those, as I understand. If you watch the Battle of Britain, you'll see very similar stuff in that to Star Wars. Uh, And that was only 10 years after, somewhere around there, after the Battle of Britain was, was bought out is nowhere as good as Star Wars of course
2: we are indeed talking about Star Wars on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO this film is perfect in every way and I, I fight anybody that says different first let's just quickly talk about the opening scene not only is, are the battles themselves um, George you but cut this, off my hand
0: one more time this, with, your, with your plastic lifesaver <laughs> my hand is not get cut
1: off Sergeant. this
2: opening scene was like a shot across the bow of the consciousness of this country and subsequently I think the world I mean it changed Everything. People
0: people always call things the dark star, the dark side, all that stuff is in our language now.
2: It really is. And let's let's talk about how he bucked the establishment, even in the way he started the credits. And then not to mention how the enormity of what was to come was so simply done by that first action shot.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it it was really brilliant because he starts out with the, you know, the very simple subtitle there, the, the long time ago. And then... There's a moment and it, of and it silence.
0: Crawls into perspective, which people well, haven't no. seen that.
1: Well, let me get to that.
0: Yeah, uh,
2: that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, George. Your sorry. Lightsaber, buddy. Hold on, hold buddy. on. Hold on. <laughs> um,
1: well, then, like I said, there's this moment of silence, and then there's that that wonderful, humongous fanfare, and the title Star Wars just flashes on the screen and then recedes in the background, and then, then. the crawling title comes up from the bottom and recedes into the into infinity.
0: And how many movies have you seen? have that crawling title nowadays where they explain the whole movie before you see the whole movie.
2: Well, they're setting the stage, right? I mean, right. they're it's, like, you know. Yeah, it's
1: all exposition. Right they're at the beginning, so you kind of have an idea of what's going on. But then, you know, I mean, remember sitting in the theater in 77 and that title comes up and we're like, okay, we're and reading this title, we're reading this me, title. To me,
2: even that was impressive. Right. Just then, the title.
1: And then again, there's this moment of quiet and then this little ship comes flying through and we're all kind of, oh, that's kind of cool. And it yeah, sort of
2: pans yeah. down. You see a little, uh, a planet in the distance and then a much larger one. You can see that they're going over the surface of a planet and this tiny little ship. Oh, look at
1: right. that. And then, and then this, all of a sudden, the point of this big ship comes across the top and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And by this point, I know my dad and I were just sitting there like, oh,
0: boy.
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: that was pretty something to see on the big screen. Man. It really was. For those of you who remember it. Before then, they had... Uh, the only hint of that sort of feel in a movie, in a, of, of a space movie, was 2001: Space Odyssey, I believe. There yeah. wasn't anything that was... That sort of hinted at what we're going to see in a few years with Star Wars. And then when Lucas got a hold of it, it was just... Everything was turned upside down, and everybody has emulated that film since it came out in 1977.
2: Let's talk about George Lucas and his path to Star Wars. I mean, he'd only made a couple movies before that.
0: We did uh, American Graffiti, of course, a couple weeks
1: ago. And and then before that, he had done THX 1138.
2: And he virtually uh, burnt his... Screen no, producers, DGA. what is it?
1: DGA
0: membership D-
2: by not putting the credits at the at the front of the movie, which well, was his the, credit. Oh, his own. So yeah. that's where he ran he usually, into. The, ran the last, last credit
0: you see before the exposition of, of the movie is usually directed by. Up until I no, believe this is the first movie, right, George? So
2: that's a rule of the D it's
0: a DGA rule. It was,
1: a, it was a DGA rule. I mean, it's it's. I think it's changed somewhat oh, since DGA. then.
2: Oh yeah, probably because of him.
1: However, I mean, uh, Citizen Kane starts there's the title citizen kane and then the movie starts and the director's credit does not come until the end so but really they kicked
2: him wild. out or he left over this discrepancy i think he probably
0: left over yeah, it tore yeah. up his card but yeah i mean they yeah, he they... is in marion county Marin county san francisco and that's where he remains today
2: isn't that something and this is remarkable can you think of this this movie that you and the three of us certainly know by heart mm. was his third
1: movie right i mean <laughs> if, third, if you third watch
0: thx you won't see hardly anything that resembles Star Wars. I mean, it's so stoic and so barren. And, uh, yeah, it is.
1: I mean, this this movie and 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 from what he's said, he's he worked on this script for a long time. I mean, going way back, probably even before American Graffiti, but he, he didn't have the. The, the kind of credit that you need in Hollywood to get something like this er, done
0: early drafts of this movie where he was moving these space marauders were moving cocaine. the substance it was like Is the, that right? early very early drafts. because oh, sure. I remember reading some of the early stuff how it was how he developed it and then it uh, has all things they just come along you know as you get successful, of course.
2: If I don't bore you with my fairy tale mythological references for a moment, it's worth mentioning that okay. you were closely with Joseph Campbell on this, right?
0: that i had not he did he worked a big jokes joseph campbell fan
2: they were, who, who who was like now, was that that's uh, the
0: guy with the soup right
2: <laughs> <laughs> he set my father's world on it here with his uh research into mythology and how these figures and the father son and the redemption and the uh uh the uh the, the winning it all over um uh made their way the 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 sort of the base mythologies that we people have carried in our lore for many many years are all present in this movie. And Joseph Campbell, he was a huge fan and, and had oh, yeah. many many extended sessions with
0: Joseph. Well, there's a whole bunch of guys out there that are they they worship Joseph Campbell's writings, and Lucas is one of them. Yeah, know.
2: and they came through in the script for sure.
0: And it, but it's
1: nice in that, and again, one thing I think the thing that makes this film so perfect or so entertaining is that you can have the people see the the Cambellian influences in there yeah. but there are the others who just go for the ride you know and it's like oh this is really look they're shooting people
0: that's great exactly you know? so, it so i mean it works all. on so many different levels every, a lot of setups in there you've seen countless times in many westerns uh every and many war movies in fact these guys play it so well, so well. Do you remember the scene where they're shooting down the hallway and C-3PO and uh, and okay. R2G, yeah. they just walk through the hail of boys. And I remember you know <laughs> we were all caught up in that, and we just watched that, and we just laughed out loud. We thought, this is going to be a great picture, man. Well,
1: and then as you're talking about that that opening sequence, um, when they introduce the villain. You know and that door explodes open and there's a, and again a moment of silence and then Darth Vader steps through and of course at that time when we first saw this film we had no idea who he was but the moment he appeared everyone had this chill run through them because he was this big scary looking half man half robot with this, and this, this vaguely and the breathing yeah this, and, and this vaguely sort of Nazi-esque headpiece on him and, and you know there's some
0: the greatest voiceover artists ever.
2: Who, yeah.
1: uh, James Earl Jones.
2: Who I heard, I did hear him say in an interview that uh, he does a lot of cross-country driving, and he's really fond of the CB, and he'll get on. and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <gasps> Luke. You know, I don't before know. you
0: start doing telephone voiceovers, you know, when you call. Belt Atlantic or whatever.
2: <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, with a voice this like is, that, yeah. you can do about anything. Perfect. But but yeah. He, perfect um, voice casting. And
1: originally, I mean, in '77, he did not receive credit on screen credit for doing the voice. I, not, going, how does yeah, that happen? Uh, I mean, it wasn't in his contract at the time. The, you know, David Prowse gets the credit for Darth Vader but because, he's no, the body in the because he's costume. the body in the costume but there is no credit for there is now I think they have since added it to all well, six well they've movies. changed
2: it a lot haven't they I have to say as we're talking about this I don't like how much they've changed it like for example they did the prequels and then went back and changed the opening scene so it says episode 4 That's whereas right. originally and then they've they've changed a lot they had to put Jabba in and change the matting
0: minute. And you know what you're getting into now what am I getting into it's the spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, what? What could it possibly be? I feel something frightening. I'm
0: George is going to explain to you how people think that episode one, which is really episode... Oh, I'm just so frustrated, George. I can't talk well, about that, it. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a problem with for, for the older Star Wars fans, or the, those of us who
1: saw it in Stage 7, is that for us, The the first Star Wars movie is the one that all the kids now think of as number four. Because Lucas started in the middle of his story, supposedly. Did he
2: think, and- Do you think he really did know that he was starting in the middle, or do you think it's all just a? It was I think a-
0: they had like five pages of fairy tale stuff, and they put it in there, and they just <laughs> ripped all that stuff out. and said, yeah. all this,
1: don't you think, George? That's. What- <laughs> I don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> Um, because I mean, we went to see this movie, and then you know, a few years later, uh, the second the second one comes out, Empire Strikes Back, and it's just as good. I oh, mean, the second is. one is wonderful. That's my And choice. then, yeah, and yeah. then here comes the third one. The and Muppet movie. Oh, it is, is like the it's Muppet like, movie. You know, a twenty million dollar episode of Pigs in Space, and. <laughs> And then we're kind of like, oh, this is where we're going to stop?
2: I really wanted to believe it. I wanted to go along. I wanted to, you know, be along, whatever they call it, suspend your belief or, right. you know, just buy in. But I tell you, when the guards for Jabba the Hutt look like the little, the but, little swamp pigs. Yeah, we
0: on, didn't care on, about on that because Carrie Muffet Fisher's, show. you know, all tied up there. And everything. Right. She looks like really
2: Nice try. didn't it. help. Yeah. Well,
1: then all those years go by. And then here he comes with, with episodes one, two, and three. Hey. Which are, again, they're like, you know, big video games. And eh. I
2: have to admit, I'll just okay, admit something yeah. right here. I only saw episode one. I was so oh. disheartened and, and displeased. Well, episode I never saw one was so three. hard
0: for me to watch because it was all digital. And you don't see too much rack focusing in that movie because everything. And in rack focus. focusing
2: for the lesser among us is. Well,
0: it's basically if something's in, in the uh, distance and something's in the foreground, you can on a film camera, you can usually pull the focus from somebody who's like. I don't know, 100 feet away to the person who's in the front. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can direct your narrative and your attention a lot of times for a reaction. So
2: with digital, everything's in focus? Well,
0: back then when when they first brought this movie out a few years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of... Focus software. pulling. Every everything was like in really stark yeah, I mean, focus, man. They, they have since
1: developed softwares for for digital photography that allow you to to recreate the the you know the, the look of a of a rack. How where, funny! Where you can blur things, or, or I mean, but Apple has programs like Shake and stuff like that that actually allow you to add. Things to them
0: to make them look more film-like. That movie was tough to watch because it, your eyes, there was no way to direct your focus on what you're supposed to look at, especially on a big screen. Interesting.
2: Yeah. I wonder. Do you think most people felt that or not? I don't is know. it because you guys have so I much experience? Out. You did not. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't walk out, did you? Really? I
1: actually. I mean, I went to see it twice because the first time I was appalled, like, and maybe I went I'm to see it again. Something. I went <laughs> to see it again to make sure that I was right. I was really appalled. <laughs> and I was really appalled the second time. I didn't walk out though. I <laughs> just
0: then, gave me a headache, man. You know, one of the things that is very interesting about this movie is that the character, the actor that played C-3PO, was actually the voice of C-3PO. I mean, he... And we should mention... Which hardly ever happens nowadays. They usually loop that in with another voice, very you know, like an animation and things like that.
2: Now, listen, my bro- my um, horizon's so broadened since I've met the two of you um, and begun to learn more about movies. And let me tell you that when, as a child, who did, you know, as a small person, see... Star Wars, when it was out, when you, George Williman, Library of Congress film archivist, did hand to me a copy of a movie called Metropolis, Ooh, I was stunned, perfect movie,
0: folks. Perfect movie. stunned
2: at how close the C-3PO uh, robot matches that, which That's was made. not wh- an
1: accident. I,
2: I don't think so. What, when was Metropolis made, this German 1926. film? 1926. Think about that. So yeah. we're 50 years. Well,
1: and it's interesting. If you can find, there's a, a really great book about, the original Star Wars film that features the script and, and lots of production drawings, and they have some very early pencil sketches of C-3PO looking exactly, exactly like the robot from Metropolis without the breasts.
2: No, I'm not surprised. Right, because it was a girl right. in, in Metropolis. Yeah. We are talking about Star Wars on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, and joined in the studio by the Film Guys today. Listen, we there's this movie is so good, we could virtually just start talking now and never stop because he'd make more eventually, so we'd still have yet more to talk about. Um, But let's talk about how these apply to the rules, and it certainly does. Uh, It it creates the world, I mean, for heaven's sake. It creates his own
1: world. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that was so unique about this film is that for most of the the sci-fi films that came before this, or fantasy films, everything was like antiseptically clean. Oh, yeah. And in this one, everyone was, and I remember my dad just being so impressed at how dirty everything was. Everything looked aged. a lived-in future.
2: Had designer, yeah. Somebody had been there.
0: Yeah. Everybody had designer spacesuits before this, like uh, you know, Forbidden Planet or too. Logan's Run. Yeah, they, right. they have very—they were very military-looking. But these guys look like rogues, man. They look. Yeah. For instance, Harrison Ford, he looked like this rogue, you know, kind of uh, Space hero. You know? I love you. I know. <laughs> you know? That's a great <laughs> Which line. Which was something
2: know? of an ad lib, I understand. But, but like, even his ship was falling apart. He was having to make repairs in right. yeah, in I mean, flight. You
1: never saw spaceships where, you know, the things are blowing up and, and there's, like, rust and... Dirt and oil coming off of it. You know, that kind of thing. How
2: brilliant and, the and dynamics,
0: simple. The, the dynamics of design in this film, the uh, those spacecraft that, that the enemy had, what are those called? The, the, uh,
1: the, uh, the TIE fighters.
0: Yeah, those things look really cool. If you look at them, you'll see like it looks like a nose cone of a B-29. There's all sorts of elements in this movie that he has grafted from our culture, like what we just talked about, uh, uh, Metropolis. But you'll see a lot of... A lot of industrial design from the 40s packed into some of these spaceships right. and industrial design from the 60s, you know, like the F-104 Starfighter. And how is interesting in these things, you know, the elements and well, they're all packed in there. And a lot of that comes
1: from the fact that a lot of the models were actually built from store bought models. models. They got and the buy bees. them and they would cannibalize the parts <laughs> off of them. Uh, I've seen some photographs. of the, the photographs of the Millennium Falcon, close-ups of certain sections of it. There's like a little mailbox, and there's a little, <laughs> little, uh, little World War II fighter plane, and there's actually a, an R two D two figure stuck under one wing, I believe. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, they, they, this was amazing junk junk shop uh, filmmaking at its best. In some and way.
0: its narrative is flawless. It's absolutely flawless. I mean, it's that's
2: Joseph Campbell, by the way. Yeah. It's
1: extremely simple, which is the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's got action laced with just about a little bit of everything for everybody, and I still think you can sit down and watch this movie clean through and not say I've seen this. I I don't think you want to get up and leave it. It's just too much fun to watch. I can't I can't even think of how many times even recently
1: that I I like put it in and and I'm somewhat proud to say that I have the laserdisc version of this. So I have to oh, get up every, that rocks! Every you gotta thirty have a party, minutes, party it over. over. <laughs> but uh but just sit down and you know, I don't plan to watch a whole thing, but I end up watching it yeah. and just sit down and watch the and whole like,
0: thing. Like a lot of our movies, uh with the exceptions of a few, a lot of the movies on our list, it's driven by magnificent music mm. and very punctuated music that that makes you want to believe you're involved in this thing. And it's very much like if you remember Lost in Space that was on television. John Williams did the score for that. And there's you can hear some of the elements in Star Wars. It's All this stuff is before Star Wars. And the, the, you can just tell his, his – it's, it's a John Williams score.
1: You know, Well, and it's interesting because for John Williams, he had already won at least one Oscar, I believe, by this time, maybe two. I can't remember if he got the Oscar for Jaws or not, but he should have. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, this film made John Williams a household name because I remember one of the first things I got when that movie came out was
0: the soundtrack.
2: Episode. I haven't, and on, and on vinyl, sure do. just listen
1: to it over and over and over and over and over, and I can't believe it even plays now. But. It,
0: it, it could have been a fluke because of Jaws, but this guy really had a good ear for melody and making things work with picture. He's like... One of these guys who really knows how to put music behind picture and tell that story. Mm. Uh, John Williams, to this day, he's still one of the greatest that can do that, can, can spy the thread in the script and just pound it out where it's going to be.
1: So, right.
2: definitely, yeah,
1: contributing and to making the world. He's still kind of like the old fashioned, sort of the old fashioned composer, comes up with themes and leitmotifs for all the characters.
0: And they're very well-defined, and they, they sort oh, of weave now. in and out through the through Oh, the I films. didn't
2: realize that, Nelson no, now I have to listen yeah. again. I, they all I, have
0: their own little themes. All the characters have their own little uh, mm-hmm. background music when, when they come on.
2: How about for rule number two, sustaining it without question? I mean, you know, it's funny. I went to Internet Movie Database. It's you know, a ha-ha
0: or... or um...
2: it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's oh, okay. funny. Uh, yeah, very funny haha. It is probably has some of the, uh, the, the longest series of comments. People chiming in like you look for goofs and gaffes. People have gone to the point of saying that uh, for uh, three frames after the saber fight, you could see that there it was a, a, a slight turquoise instead of a green on the saber light. And, I mean, it's a really amazingly
1: detailed critique. Yeah, well, we have a, we have a, a short phrase for those people. Get a
0: life. <laughs> Shut up it's and watch the movie, will certainly ya? Certainly
2: sparked some super. Fans. Shut up and
0: watch the movie. So, uh,
2: so it certainly creates and sustains, and and just as far as rule three go, goes, think, uh, which is of course that it, uh, despite cultural changes, uh, maintains its entertainment value. I always also like to think of rule number three as having like a, a, an actual cultural contribution. Like well, it's
0: very American. Uh, the,
2: may the force be it with
0: is you. Very American.
1: Well, yeah. well, gee, what was what did what did they end up calling that um, that uh, gun program that outer space gun program that Ronald Reagan was pushing back in the early eighties? What they call that? Star Wars. Oh, and Lucas just hated that. <laughs>
2: oh, I bet. How funny, yeah, yeah, that's right. Plus, um, uh, the uh, uh, May the Force be with you, Luke. I am your father. People will say that in the oddest sort of uh, timings, and certainly that music has its own. You know, yeah, one, of the, one of the
0: crazy things about that movie was that little scene where they all those guys are playing those, those aliens are playing those instruments that really remember? hung with people because I remember everybody <laughs> talking about <laughs> that. <laughs> wait, wait till you see <laughs> this part <laughs> right here. Right and it right. was a
2: huge hit at the time. Cantina band, it was called mm-hmm. from the movie sound, uh, soundtrack, yeah. and it was a huge. I uh, have forty-five. I have it. Mm-hmm.
1: That's
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 gentlemen, we are almost out of time, on, if you can believe ahead. it.
1: Well, if we could really get in here quick, and one of one of the other things that make this movie so great is the cast. I mean, not just the three the three unknowns who were the stars but also people like like Alec Guinness and, and the wonderful Peter Cushing playing grandma. maltz oh, he's great man he's just the
0: best looking Third right kind of guy you'd ever want to see in a movie
1: and a great story that I've heard and I do not have this confirmed but it's a great story it's the scene where he confronts Carrie Fisher and is threatening her that he's going to blow up her planet supposedly he was wearing pink slippers so (laughs) if you watch carrie fisher she is trying as hard as she can to keep her composure in that scene why would he do that because they were comfortable his feet hurt you know and he knew they weren't going to show his feet in that scene
2: (laughs) gentlemen as always a pleasure and i feel like this was just too short we may have to expand our show (laughs) Everyone sighs (laughs) because we don't work hard enough hey always a pleasure j todd anderson thanks for being here
0: always my pleasure
2: George Williman, uh keep us up to date on the, the new things, the amazing things happening at the Library of Congress, because there is a lot indeed.
1: As always, may the farce be with you. Well, that was terrible.
2: I'm Nikki Dakota. We do it every Friday at uh, plus or minus 1230. Tune in to 913WYSO. So if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear those. Write to filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Again, that's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. .net. You can, of course, check it all out at our website, WYSO.org. Email is here. However, it is, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Love to hear from you. And not to uh, NPR News with Robert Siegel. Send it to the <laughs> film guys.
2: The film guys, not Robert Schiegel. Thanks again. Bye, boys. Bye.
0: Right. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.